Did you know that Bitcoin uses as much energy as some entire countries? Bitcoin has a massive network of miners called ASICs that require a lot of energy to mine and secure the Bitcoin network. So for Bitcoin to be successful, it's critical to have access to cheap and reliable energy. That's why miners are moving in flocks to Texas and running their mining operations off of natural gas wells, wind turbines, solar farms, and on-grid applications. But up to now, there hasn't been a place for Bitcoin miners and energy producers to connect with each other. That's why Digital Wildcatters is bringing everyone to the energy capital of the world, Houston, Texas, for two days of network and learning at the premier mining event and power. Maybe you're an experienced miner or energy producer that's looking for partnerships, or maybe you're new to the space and you want to learn and get your foot in the door. There's going to be content and opportunities for people from all different backgrounds. March 30th, the 31st, Houston, Texas, and power. Get more information at digitalwildcatters.com. This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Oil & Gas Startups. We're here breaking in the new studio today. My man, Jake Boaz with Crypto Yield Capital. First First podcast episode here in the new studio, so you should feel, uh, I don't know if you should feel special, but. Dude, I feel honored, man. This is my <laughs> first uh, video podcast too, so it's perfect. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So we're about 50% done with the new studio. It's going to look pretty sweet when it's uh, all up and running. Uh, our guys have been working hard on it, but excited to get in here. And excited to have this conversation with you, man, because, uh, you know, we've got our Empower event coming up. Uh, around Bitcoin mining. There's a ton of talk around Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And um, you came by the office the other day and we're talking to me and Chuck. And so wanted to get you on the podcast. Tell me real quick about uh, Crypto Yield Capital, high level, what you're doing. And then uh, I want to want to get into the, the nitty gritty. You know, we we're just talking Board Ape Yacht Club and NFTs. And so <laughs> I want to get into that a bit. Yeah, man, this space is absolutely insane. Uh, I guess it just started. I was at a company called Black Buck Resources, yeah. uh, private equity backed by Crested Fund Management. And it, it was so funny. I just loved crypto. I was all about it, making you know a ton of money doing it. And I said, hey, like, I'm pretty much outperforming my private equity fund for what wow. I thought was way less risk. Wow. And I just love doing this. And I simply want more capital to go do what I love, which is crypto invest. And so... Yeah, man, back in October, launched the fund, uh, Crypt Yield Capital, uh, small fund, but it's been a ton of fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's yeah. been quite the journey, man. Yeah, I think I told you uh, when you came by, you know, John Arnold was on our podcast. And one of my last questions for him on the show is like, you know, if a uh, 30-year-old John Arnold, you know, is still, still trading today in the cryptocurrency environment, would you be all over that? And he's like, man, there's guys out there making a killing right now so yeah. um just so much opportunity uh yeah you know what's funny about that i have a couple uh houston hedge fund guys they're like man your story sounds somewhat similar to john arnold i'm like there's no <laughs> way like like do not give me that kind of credit yeah, yeah, yeah. all right hopefully i have the I'm same like, all right. hopefully i have the same trajectory then but no it's yeah. it's crazy um you know people on the surface may be like hey why do you have a cryptocurrency hedge fund guy on oil and gas startups podcast. But as you said, you came from black buck, you came from oil and gas industry. Um, let's talk about that real quick. Let's talk about your background and your story. Cause you're a young, young guy. How old are you? Like I'm 27, 27. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
how did you get over to Black Buck? What did you do before that? And then um, kind of tell us about the oil and gas experience. Yeah, so I uh, went to Texas A&M University, did my undergrad in accounting, master in finance. Uh, began my career at Barclays Investment Bank uh, here in Houston. Uh, loved that. Had a ton of experience uh, doing IPOs, you know, M&A, all that good stuff. And then, uh, yeah, transitioned from there to Black Buck. Uh, where I was the commercial development manager over there. Uh, we did a few deals with uh, Cimerex and Chevron and some others. So yeah. great experience there. And what was awesome also is uh, Cresta was a first time fund at the yeah. time. And so they needed somebody that was like, hey, on the operations company side of Black Buck, but they also needed help on the private equity side as well. Yeah. And so I got a lot of exposure to, hey, how does my private equity firm think about returns and risk and all of those things? And so when I compared, you know, my risk profile to my returns and everything and my personal, you know, assets in crypto, I was like, wow, this is, you know, a great risk return given, you know, <laughs> what yeah. Uh, yeah. what we did at BlackBook, which is, you know, phenomenal company. They're growing at Justin Love, yeah. Samuel Oliver over there. Awesome guys, just brilliant yeah. Um, yeah. and stuff. So, yeah, I was just like, hey, I, I love this company, but I simply, you know, want to step out my own and do crypto because I that's where I always saw myself one day was. Um, I've been investing in crypto since, you know, 2016 or so. Yeah. Saw the huge ramp up and got, you know, absolutely wrecked in 2017. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I still like invest my money, especially in the fund today yeah. as, man, this stuff could go down 80% tomorrow and I want to be totally prepared for that. And I think we just like, if you picked uh, the worst time to start a crypto hedge fund, it was October. Like <laughs> when we started. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, every, yeah, everything came down like. 50 which, something percent, which is nuts. Which in my opinion is the best time to start any business or companies in the downturn because um, if you can make it in the downturn and survive and build your foundation, then you can come out ripping up on the other side. And that's what we did at Digital Wildcatters. We went full time on this March 2020, just a few weeks before oil prices went negative. And so uh, I get that sentiment 100%. Yeah, to your point of you started in 2016, that's when I started buying Bitcoin as well. Smart. And um, went through the whole ICO craze, lost a shit ton of money in ICOs, uh, buying up pre-ICOs. I remember like, I was just thinking the other day, I was like, man, I remember putting 10 grand in this uh, pre-ICO and never even got distributed the tokens. Yeah, like, I was in like four or five of those. Yeah, yeah just like, <laughs> never even got the token, just don't know where my money went. Um, yeah. And I look at crypto twitter and what's going over on on twitter and like you start realizing it's like man a lot of the people in the space now you know they're dealing with nfts they weren't around 2016 2017 and that seems like it was just yesterday i was like damn that was five six years ago and that's pretty uh you know that's pretty experience for the crypto uh industry just considering it's only been around for a little more than a decade and so still in its yeah. infancy right but yeah they say anyone before 2017 like you're a crypto og yeah. you know but you i feel like that is so true though because you know a lot of the tricks that these guys try to put on twitter like oh hey even the celebrities and stuff like hey buy my token seen, you've seen it you already know, like, we saw yeah. that it's like the nft thing is the same exact oh, thing yeah. as icos man and um yeah, like sometimes like I don't feel like I'm that experienced or aged in crypto because I always feel like oh, I missed the boat on Bitcoin because I first found out about Bitcoin in 2011 and oh, found out gosh. about it um, from one of my buddies in Midland. And uh, Bobby Glossop, if he's listening to this, which probably isn't, but he's the one that put me on. His Instagram handle was Crypto Cowboy. 
you know, Bobby's big kind of like corn fed, uh, came from a oil and gas oil field services family. Always tell him, he's like, call him Bitcoin's the future. It's the future. You got to buy some. And I'm like, whatever, dude, this shit looks like a scam. And, you know, back then you didn't have exchanges where you could just go buy Bitcoin. It was actually kind of hard mm-hmm. to um, acquire Bitcoin. And I remember, man, I, I remember it vividly sitting on my couch in my apartment, all my days off. I was roughnecking. It would have been nothing for me to put a week or two weeks pay into Bitcoin. And I remember trying to like get some and I couldn't figure it out. I was like, I'm just going to yeah. buy some. And, you know, it's like, okay, we gotta, you have to sell something on Silk Road to get it or you have to perform services or someone like, a, you know, do some contracting work to have them pay you in Bitcoin. And anyways, I just remember like just exited the browser and never tried to buy any Dude. again. And I'm like, fuck, man, I just. I remember I had this YouTube video that was suggested to me. This was like when Bitcoin was at a hundred bucks or so. Yeah. It said, why Bitcoin's going to 10,000? I was like, absolutely not. I said, that was the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I swear, <laughs> like if it said a thousand or something, if I had just clicked that video, I want to think like I'd be driving a Lambo today. Yeah. If I well, just simply clicked the video. That's the thing is that even like a thousand dollar Bitcoin was kind of unfathomable back mm-hmm. then. Like you just didn't think that would happen. And it's so funny to me now when people take their victory laps. Oh, Bitcoin's dropped from 60,000 to 40,000. I'm like, dude, yeah, this is like clown world to me because if you were there back in those days, would have mentioned $40,000 Bitcoin. And it's, I think it's so sad too, because people want to buy Bitcoin only when it's green going up. Right. Yeah. Like their market psychology is so backwards. Like I had so many people calling me in November Oh, Bitcoin's going up. Oh my gosh, like it's going to 100,000. You know, I need to get in your fund now, blah, 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 blah. And I said, hey, you know what? It, it could go to 100,000. You know, you have to keep exposure, all that stuff. But man, uh, then everything goes down, you know, and the calls, you know, don't happen as much. Like people don't want to buy, you know, right now when, you know, Bitcoin's at 39,000. But they want to buy when it's like 66,000. And it's 000, crazy you know? because like, in my opinion, it's so easy to time <laughs> like this market. <laughs> like it's so easy. Like, you know, if you're you running a hedge fund, and I know you have a much more um, detailed and complex uh, model that you trade off of that we can uh, get into here in a little bit and talk about your process. But if you're just a normal person, it's like, hey, Bitcoin goes up, it goes down. It's extremely volatile right now, um, just like oil and gas. You buy when it goes down and really if you dollar cost average mm-hmm. over time, which is what I've done, it's a pretty fail proof way to get exposure to Bitcoin. But yeah, I mean, you see it all the time. It, it runs in, in cycles yeah. and yeah, Bitcoin's just been always trading backwards on it. Yeah. It's just been trading in a range from 30,000 to 60,000 since like, you know, early 2021. Yeah. You know, it hasn't really, like if you just drew a chart out, it's just this, 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 this. Yeah. people are like, <laughs> panicking on the way down and then when it's going up everyone's going to drive a lambo one day you know <laughs> so it's just it's so funny man yeah People, it uh, is. i just think there have never been more bullish catalysts in crypto ever yeah. um i saw a 20 uh, all of the narratives we saw in 2017 that caused that you know massive spike in the ico craze and crash 80 percent i i just don't see that happening um anytime soon just because 100 percent agree i think yeah. that that's one of the most interesting things to me about this bull run is that it didn't run off of hype cycle. Right. 2017 run up was very like I knew oh, like dude. you could feel it, man. You're people, like this was people don't understand how different that market was. I mean, yeah. you had 
Bitcoin went from like what a thousand to ten thousand within like several months. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was quick, it was quick. Like I remember being yeah. down in in Mexico, and I was in Guadalajara, and just over a couple of days, just how much it ramped up. I was like, this isn't sustainable. Yeah, and for people that didn't weren't around at that time, what was going on was you know like like Colin and I were talking about. We had these companies that would issue a token. An ICO is initial coin offering. And they had literally no product. They just had a team and they said, hey, we're gonna raise $50 million at a $50 million, uh, we're gonna raise $50 million at a $500 million valuation to go build the product one day. And then they take all the money, fly around private jets, and then just not build the product at all. Uh, a lot of them got absolutely <laughs> hammered by the SEC. A lot of people went to jail. Some got away I knew, with I knew it guys, completely. I knew guys personally. I'm sitting with them in Soho House in West Hollywood and, you know, overlooking the hills. And they're like, yeah, we got this idea. We're going to build this platform. And, I mean, I was there with them, put together, they put together the white paper in about a month and then went and raised $30 million on it and had no product. That's how easy it was. No product, had a white paper. And after they got the funds, they went and got an office, which was a mansion in Beverly Hills, and then steak dinners every night, parties, never shipped product. Yeah, and, and people, like, yeah. And people are probably wondering, well, why, that, why the heck would you invest in something like that? But the reality was you bought the ICO, and then the, t- the coin would 10x like when it started trading, like right after. So yeah, you bought in this ridiculous valuation at 50 million or whatever, but then to go trade at like 250 million dollars and people were making 5x 10x whatever there's just massive craze and then when the music stopped that all like i can't think of a single coin from 2017 that came out that made it is it like even the top i can't no. and that's what i tell everyone with nfts today yeah it's like there were actually some legit projects from ico craze like i remember like uh dragon chain and Mm -hmm. a few of these like where are they where are they today lots of money was raised and no products were shipped. And, you know, I remember like GAT coin. GAT was, I got in on the pre-ICO. Everyone was super jealous that I got in. Um, You know, it had so much demand. So I got in before it hit the market. The day it hit the market, it 9X'd. Yeah, just boom, shot up. And then guess what? Crashed, never came back. And that was actually like, in my mind, in my personal experience, that was the end of ICOs and when everything started coming down. And to your point, it was like some of the easiest money to make back then. I had mm-hmm. friends, I mean, becoming multi, multi-millionaires off of buying pre-ICOs and 10, 20 xing their money in a matter of a month. Yeah. And it's hard, like, it's hard to ignore that when that's yeah. happening, you know? You gotta think like there's someone on the other side of that trade that it's pretty much a zero sum game and that stuff. Um, and I think, yeah, like you said, it's very similar with NFTs. We're going to have some projects that make it like apes and mm-hmm. punks and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. most, like if you just bought, you know, an NFT of a hot dog and it's hot dog club and you're expecting to make a 10 X hundred X, I think that money is slowly disappearing and yeah. all that stuff is going to go to zero. Yeah. Um, but I think with Bitcoin, Ethereum, et cetera, um, it's a completely different market now. I mean, we have more institutional investment interest than ever. I know that uh, Futures Bitcoin ETF, uh, they raised over a billion dollars within two days. Yeah. Uh, which, terrible product, by the way. If anyone's no, watching this, do not buy it, please. Yeah, terrible uh, product. Yeah. <laughs> rolling contracts are, yeah, yeah you're, you're going to lose. It's much like USO. 
on yeah. for oil, you know? Like yeah. it's, it's, it's a terrible product. You're going to lose, yeah, 20 to 40% from the rolling contracts. It's yeah. absurd. Uh, yeah, so I agree with you 100%. I mean, just the the sentiment around uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum is completely different than it was five years ago. And now let's talk about, because on the show uh, recently, I've talked a lot about Bitcoin mining. I've had a mm -hmm. lot of Bitcoin miners on here. Um, obviously, we're doing our event in power, and so there's a ton of Bitcoin mining um, interest. And then with that starts coming the uh, financial questions, just like oil and gas. It's like, hey, we can go drill wells and we can um, produce oil and gas, but then what can we do from a hedging perspective? What can we use as financial instruments, things of that nature? So this is actually the first conversation I've had on the show where we actually talk about um, hedging and trading cryptocurrencies and things of that nature. And you brought up, um, I mean, you were actually showing me your models and I was like, oh shit, this is really cool. But let's talk about, and I don't know like how much you can go into your strategy, but we're talking about swaps and all of these different things. And essentially my takeaway was there's a ton of uh, ARB opportunity in, in the markets. Why don't you talk about like how you think about um, running a hedge fund from a cryptocurrency trading perspective. And then after that, let's talk about what we think the future of hedging Bitcoin is and how um, institutions and companies are going to treat treat that. Yeah, so the reason we didn't get wrecked, you know, with the crash in December was I was employing a market-making strategy in cryptocurrency. So yeah, the market came down, I think, 20 30% through December of last year, and we posted a, 50, a positive 15% return during that. The only reason we were able to do that is because uh, essentially what you can do in crypto is take an asset like Ethereum and then pair it with another asset like US dollar coin. And you can market make uh, for people that want to go on and buy Ethereum and US dollar coin uh, back and forth. It's a really complex process, but it's through this new technology called an automated market maker. You don't have to go through Coinbase, FTX, some of these other exchanges. You, we can trade directly peer to peer. Mm -hmm. Every time someone does that, I make you know anywhere from 1% to you know 0.05% of transaction fee on that. So great you know really awesome strategy um i think a lot of these bitcoin miners i know we talked about the the modeling and stuff behind it um a lot of these bitcoin miners have that decision tree of hey when i mine a bitcoin should i sell it and lock in my roi on that mine or should i hold it you know because i think ultimately bitcoin's going to go up over time but you know if i have private equity capital that wants to lock in a 25 percent return which i think in this kind of market and everything you get your power costs down is you know very very possible to get over 25% return doing it. Like, how do you manage that? And I think uh, there's a, a third option, which is, uh, you know, you bridge the two where you sell half and you do like a market making strategy, like, you know, I employ at Crypto Yield Capital where, you know, you're taking on about half the beta to Bitcoin. You mm -hmm. still have exposure, but uh, through trading fees, you, your annualized return on top of that uh, capital is anywhere from like 40 to 80%. It's crazy right now. Yeah. Um, and I know uh, that's why some people are like, hey, this is this sounds somewhat similar to what John Arnold did with natural gas trading back in the day. And I think it's a little bit more similar to, you know, when you had pink sheets, you know, back in the early days of trading where, yeah. you know, the bid-ass spread was super high and the, the fees were, you know, extremely high. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think ultimately there will be new capital enter the space. So right now there's just several billion dollars in liquidity in crypto. Yeah. 
And when you think about liquidity versus the market cap, like total crypto market cap is like two trillion, something yeah. crazy. And yeah. you have more demand for trading than ever. And what I call like a liquidity crisis in crypto, that's only going to last for so long. Yeah. Like we have like two to three years of that left. But yeah. ultimately, yeah, uh, I think that Bitcoin miners could really benefit, you know, from a strategy like that. Um, I guess another option you'd have is, you know, you have short futures or something, but yeah. unless you have a dedicated crypto person that also understands, you know, crypto futures, it's very difficult to play that game. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's dive into all of that a bit because I've seen several different strategies. I mean, when you talk to institutions, institutions, they want to return on their money. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the way that they look at it is, okay, you know, we can sell Bitcoin and make our money back, you know, get 18 month payback or whatever that is. But there is some liquidity in futures market. So we could hedge and have optionality at the end of our 18 months. And at that point, you know, you can do what you want. I'm kind of, you know, the way I think about it is I want to hold as many sets on my mm -hmm. balance sheet as possible, right? I want to stack as much Bitcoin as possible. And so I look at it, I'm like, I don't want to sell off any of the Bitcoin, um, you know, enough to cover OPEX, but I want to hold as much Bitcoin as possible. But what you kind of opened up my eyes to the other day was, hey, you can have just raw exposure to Bitcoin. Okay, you think Bitcoin's going all the way up to a million dollars a Bitcoin. That's great. But look at what happens if you uh, hold half of it and then you know, stake the other half mm -hmm. for trading. And I mean, the returns it's nuts exponentially. <laughs> it's it's nuts and it doesn't the problem with it too is you show people that and they're like this is this is too good to be true there's no way it's happening and i thought the exact same thing uh back in 2020 when i first started doing this strategy i was like there's there's no way like yeah. there's like there's something i'm missing something yeah <laughs> and i just kept diving deeper and deeper i'm like i'm missing something i'm there there's no way and um, like it's too good to like, be true. it's like this is so this is so ridiculous um but it really just came down when you run the math out and I use the same math that automated market makers like in those models yeah. use like the exact same math and I pull in real numbers and it's just accurate and no one but no one really wants to that's why I'm like kind of hesitant to even share this on you know your yeah. podcast it's yeah. like <laughs> all of us in crypto the people I know do it they're like dude get out of my pool of liquidity man like don't, <laughs> yeah. don't come in my pool bro you're like yeah. you're diluting me and uh it's the absolute opposite of when you buy a crypto and you want you want everyone to buy it, right? Yeah. It's the exact opposite where if you find that new pool that's paying more like 200%, like some fancy new protocol that has very little liquidity, but does some new, you know, uh, has some new technology that's better than its competitors. And, yeah. And people like trading on it and there's even less liquidity, you can make even more. So yeah. it's this kind of game we're playing. Um, and I think, yeah, some people would be upset with me if I... So, you know, with you, you know, you're, you're going over to Uniswap and, you know, you're um, moving in and out of different cryptocurrencies. We were just talking about NFTs. Uh, does trading strategy bleed over into NFTs or is this only um, cryptocurrencies? Yeah, it's only cryptocurrencies. I don't think you'd have enough volume for nfts to do something like this yeah and plus a lot of that is uh you just like open is taking that fee 
Yeah. So it's a similar model where, yeah, you, I think if you, they do 2.5%, which yeah. is ridiculous, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I think they've got a great business. They have a phenomenal <laughs> business. And I think a lot of crypto people are upset that they're, you know, going the IPO route. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, it's the, fiat, <laughs> it's the fiat route, right? Yeah, they're, they're, mean, yeah. they're doing it the legit way. And uh, I know that market will get disrupted where, you know, those fees are going to come down, I think. But, yeah, uh, yeah. but unfortunately, yeah, there's no decentralized way yet. Yeah. I think I would look at that very closely. But yeah. the problem is if. Well, like, here's, during, yeah, here, here's the problem. Let me touch on that. <laughs> let, me get on, let me get on my soapbox. There will never be a decentralized way to do that. And the reason is, is because one, there's only one truly decentralized protocol and it's Bitcoin. Ethereum's not decentralized. Any of the other thousand blockchains out there aren't decentralized. Don't give a shit what you say. There's a central party. I completely disagree with you. I, let's, <laughs> completely get into, disagree. let's get into it right now. Let's get into <laughs> yeah, it right now. I, I completely like, I. Bitcoin Maxi over here. Bitcoin Maxi by way of being baptized by fire. because. Told you, I used to be hype on all the ICO projects back in the day. And when you start really looking, like this is what I think makes Bitcoin so fascinating is that, okay, we have no idea who Satoshi is, probably dead. There's no way that wallet's staying <laughs> unactive during all of this. I, I just don't think there's any human on the planet that- I hope they don't dump all that Bitcoin. Yeah. That would not yeah. be good. <laughs> but, you know, why- why wouldn't they have done that already? Uh, Sixty thousand dollars. It's the future, man. They, if, they, if you invent Bitcoin, you believe it, you know? Yeah, like. yeah. But you know, let's just say that that person um, isn't, you know, isn't alive. So now we've got decentralized uh, network of miners all across the world. Hash rate is continuing to increase. There's, in my mind, a lot of correlation between price of Bitcoin and the amount of hash rate that is online. Mm -hmm. The more secure the network is, the more value there is in the network collected through the price of Bitcoin. Um, it's a beautiful fucking system. Now you go over to- Agree. Yeah. We're aligned so, so <laughs> right. far. We're very aligned. We're aligned okay. so far. All right. Yeah, yeah. I got you there. Right. <laughs> now you go over to Ethereum. Mm -hmm. Ethereum is not decentralized. You look at it, it's like, okay, we had the massive hack of Ethereum back in, uh, what was that, 2016, 2017? I can't remember what the year was, but rolled back the ledger and had a hard fork. That's why you have Ethereum, Ethereum Classic now. That was my first, like, okay, is this decentralized or is it not? How can you, how can you roll back a ledger and have a hard fork? Then it's like, okay. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Combo Curve. If you haven't heard, Aries and PhD went around and Combo Curve is in. Combo Curve is the cloud-based operating system for energy companies. The single integrated platform helps your engineering teams become more agile, precise, and efficient than ever before. For the first time ever, you now generate type curves and forecast thousands of wells accurately and in a fraction of the time. Oh, and it can automatically run these forecasts every single day. What I love most about the Combo Curve team is their work ethic and actually caring about their customers Every time I talk to the team, Armand, Jeremy, everybody else over there, they're reinvesting into growing the development team to tackle any challenges that their clients may be facing. But don't take my word for it. Go over to combocurve.com, read the dozens of testimonials on their website from clients like Arm Energy, Laredo Petroleum, Rock and W Minerals, and many more. Request a demo, and these guys will get you taken care of. 
Ethereum works on proof of work, but now it's moving to proof of stake. And mm -hmm. you see their flow chart of how they're moving to proof of stake. And it's a clown show, in my opinion. But when you see those things, it's like not even Ethereum. Ethereum has a central team that is making decisions. It's not a truly decentralized organization. People started figuring out that, oh my God, OpenSea and MetaMask aren't decentralized. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're, yeah they're <laughs> applications. Never, yeah. Our shit's getting hacked and, you know, yeah. all of this is happening. I'm like, yeah, these are all central. Uh, these are all platforms that are controlled by central bodies. So um, I don't think you can have, I don't think you can create a truly dis decentralized application because it takes away incentive to build that. I'm a capitalist and I think people build things to have a reward. You are doing a hedge fund to get a return and make uh, capital gains. All my fucking foam tiles are falling around. <laughs> <laughs> Recording this podcast and foam tiles are just falling down around here. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I create digital wildcatters and I have a vision of the impact mm -hmm. that digital wildcatters is going to have. But at the end of the day, I also create businesses because I want to, I want to make money too and mm -hmm. have some return on that. And so how can you create a truly decentralized network where, um, you don't have a central team that has some incentive to make that work? That's, that's how I think about it. Would love how I, to I feel you hundred percent and Vitalik would actually agree with you on proof of work. Mm -hmm. He did not want to move to proof of stake. Um, he thought it's a bad idea. Um, he was slowly convinced that for the future to happen, we have to move to proof of stake. That does remove some decentralization from the system. But ultimately, I think that those guys are just galaxy brains yeah, for real. And they will ultimately move it to a decentralized system. It's Ethereum is the most decentralized system we have today outside of Bitcoin. Yeah, I, agree. I would say. I agree. So like yeah. Solana, um, all these other blockchains, they're centralization is much, much worse. Yeah. And I think they're moving towards it. Um, but I think in general, I think all of this talk about decentralization to some extent is an illusion because people like I have hardcore crypto friends that are go that go, Jake, you know, the government can never shut down Bitcoin. I go, they can stop you from converting your dollars to Bitcoin very quickly. They can stop the exchanges. And that would nuke the price. And I'm like, the government can ultimately, you know, stop. Bitcoin. Yeah. And so we do have a risk. Now they can never prevent you from sending that Bitcoin if you truly own that Bitcoin somewhere else. But I mean, we've seen, you know, Coinbase, uh, if you if you don't own the keys to your Bitcoin uh, and you FTX, Coinbase, whatever, and you're in Russia right now, you can't move it. Yeah. I mean, so, look, full agreement yeah. with you there. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. let's let's get some clarity there that governments can't shut down the Bitcoin network. Mm -hmm. They they can make it extremely hard for consumers to access Bitcoin, which I just told you back in 2011, it was hard to buy Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And now you have Coinbase, Gemini, and a ton of other exchanges across the world that have made it easy to buy Bitcoin. But even then, people still are like, what am I doing? You know, I don't even know what Bitcoin is. I'm buying it. And the governments can shut those down. No problem. I mean... Just like you said, you're seeing mm -hmm. it. You're in Russia. You can't access it. Um, so, and I also don't think that the future is people holding their keys. And I mean, just the average person isn't capable of doing that. So mm -hmm. um, I do agree with you there that in theory, 
the Bitcoin network is decentralized and can't be shut down by governments, but the government can do enough things to sh plummet the value of Bitcoin. Well, um, even if they said it's illegal to hold Bitcoin, I mean, I feel like most people would, you know, would not get do rid it. of it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not like, I don't know. But at the same or, time. Or it's illegal to mine Bitcoin. Yeah. Like China. Yeah. China. Came China did that. Yeah. China did so, yeah, yeah. And they can shut it down. But yeah. ultimately, I mean, Bitcoin will always have a place. I, I actually don't. People ask me all the time about regulatory risk. And I think I would have been much more afraid to start a crypto hedge fund like 2017 when you had all those bad actors. But now in you know 2022, uh, the U.S. government has been more crypto friendly than ever because they know that if they stifle innovation here, it will occur elsewhere. And there are a lot of countries that would love to be the crypto hub of the future. We've had Silicon Valley last 20, 30 years, whatever it's been now. Yeah, like uh, El Salvador, you know, like fully, yeah. fully embracing it. Yeah, tech created the largest distribution of wealth in history and crypto is doing it again. Yeah. And uh, I know people joke about this, but it's like, you know, if you're not in crypto, you know, you're going to mess out. Yeah. I, I really genuinely believe that on, yeah. on generate the, the next large generational wealth creation event. But uh, and we can also talk about uh, dollarization. Yeah. So cryptocurrencies are priced in the U.S. dollar. Mm -hmm. uh, other countries hate that. China hates it. Russia. Mm -hmm. uh, they want to be the currency of the future. Uh, right now, though, uh, people across the globe only want U.S. dollars. They don't want their native currency most of the time. Yeah. And using cryptocurrencies like uh, uh, backed by the U.S. dollar, by, by Coinbase, like U.S. dollar coin, you have Tether, a bunch of that are just backed one-to-one -to, -one to the dollar. Uh, they would much. They pretty much opens people to be able to have a U.S. bank account um, that they control and yeah. use their currency. So I I fully believe that once these technologies get better, um, I'm going to go on Coinbase, convert my U yeah, U.S. dollars to uh, U.S. dollar coin, mm -hmm. and then I can go to France, and any merchant in France is going to take that U.S. dollar coin, and they're yeah. not going to want to use the euro. They're going to want to use the U.S. dollar. So the government loves that, right? Yeah, because uh, yeah. countries have been talking about de-dollarization for you know, past 10, 20 years, and they, they haven't been able to do it. They never will, yeah. in my opinion. But uh, this just further dominates the dollar. So the U.S. government now is actually like, heck, heck yeah, crypto, like, let's yeah. do this. My know? thing is, I try to avoid getting in crypto arguments on Twitter with a bunch <laughs> of oil and gas people because oh, like, I, just, I just learned years ago, it's like, it's not my responsibility to change people's mind. It's going to happen regardless because you have very simple economic principles in play which is supply and demand and network effects and the network continues to grow stronger and stronger day after day and so when people are like bitcoin's gonna get shut down by the government i'm like hey look 2016 2017 i was i was afraid of that but now it's too big it's mm -hmm. too big yeah. and people are seeing the opportunity you got ted cruz coming and speaking at our empower event because he sees the opportunity that texas has to be a leader in hash rate in the Bitcoin network, same with Governor Abbott. Like, these are people that have the power to open up, <laughs> yeah, open up the past to make this a institutional. And on that note, is you know, talk to institutions, and they're not seeing the regulatory risk as much as they would have back in 2016, 2017. Yeah. So, and that's that's the big thing because that's what they look at is. What are my risk in this? What is regulatory risk? And now they're starting to get comfortable with it. So yeah, and I would I would actually applaud one well, of the few times I would applaud you know our government on something. They've actually taken a very strong look into crypto the right way. They've had yeah. tons of hearings on on it. 
Uh, Ted Cruz, you know, educated himself on Bitcoin mining. There's a lot of, like, you know, a ton of misinformation about how Bitcoin, they say, oh, it destabilizes our grid. It actually helps the grid. You know, it's- <laughs> I saw an article come out on Bloomberg like two, uh, two days ago about how it's damaging uh, the grid, the Texas grid. And I'm like, it helps bolster the grid. It helps fortify yeah. the grid. And so, so much. It, it's counterintuitive yeah, to what people think. Uh, but, uh, Nick Carter, I don't know if you follow him on Twitter. Yeah, he has yeah. the best stuff on it. Actually, yeah. my, my buddy's, uh, friends with him. Um, oh, cool. So I like, no, I had like a call with him. So yeah. he's like really smart. Yeah. Smart guy. Uh, yeah, but yeah, actually, he had the best stuff on that. I was actually supposed to go to Austin today for a Bitcoin event. And, uh, Nick is speaking at it and some people want to so yeah obviously i'm not in austin right now so i'm not gonna go but <laughs> <laughs> this podcast kept me from doing that i was like oh, i got a podcast right so i can't come well but, that makes you feel good man. yeah <laughs> dude, i put like, i put i put some weight into it but yeah that's um dude i i agree with you 100 percent, and i think only people like us that have seen the evolution of the ecosystem and sentiment over the last six to 10 years understand of like, Hey, look, this is legitimate. Now all those concerns that you're bringing up, like remember like 2014 crash of Bitcoin, like people thought Bitcoin was dead, like mm -hmm. legit dead. And then 2017 crash. I mean, again, Oh shit, Bitcoin's dead. And that was a time for regulators to come in and in Bitcoin if they wanted to like mm -hmm. that window. And I was actually worried about it back then. Now, you see it drop from 60,000 to 40,000 or 30,000. You're like, oh, this Bitcoin doing what Bitcoin does, but don't see any pressure from SEC or the feds actually see governments around the world embracing Bitcoin. And yeah. I think that, you know, when they start talking about, oh, we're going to, you know, put some regulatory around it, I'm like, that's good. That's good. Yes. Yeah. Now you have. Now you have the path for institutions and everyone to get involved because they say, all right, this is how the feds look at Bitcoin. We can get into it. I've never said there because there are some crypto people are like, oh, it's so bearish. Like regulations are coming. I go, you guys don't have any idea how much capital is sitting on the sidelines like that wants to get involved. I mean, yeah. the global, no, sorry, the U.S. hedge fund for crypto market was $3 billion as of 2020, according to the PwC report they do. Yeah. I, I bet it's much higher now. It's probably, let's say it's $100 billion yeah. in hedge funds and crypto. That is a joke. If you look at, you know, the global hedge fund markets, it's in the trillions, like, yeah. hun like hundred yeah. trillions yeah. of dollars. <laughs> and I go, the global market cap of crypto, like, and that includes a ton of just terrible stuff in that $2 trillion that isn't real. Yeah. I'll say it's really more like, you know, $1.5 trillion of actual good projects. Man, the, that's a joke. Like the global stock market is, you know, hundreds of trillions of dollars and stuff. And so the amount of money that can come in this space quickly yeah. and when Blackstone, whoever it is, can say, oh, hey, my clients can just, we're going to start a small fund and, you know, my clients can just buy Bitcoin through it and we're going to own spot. Yeah. And a spot ETF is going to come out. Um, that's actually a good product, unlike the futures one. Yeah. It is going to open up the floodgates and, my opinion, create a massive global bubble. People are like, oh, it's a bubble now. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> it's If it's going to be like the tech bubble, tech bubble is like $20 trillion or so adjusted for inflation. Yeah. We're at 2 trillion, let's say in crypto. Yeah. It's going to be a global bubble and it's going to go to at least 50, 100 trillion. My yeah. Opinion. Anyway, yeah. that's my no, I, long-term Yeah, I agree thing. with you. Agree with you 100%. There's going to be a ton of opportunity in the space. 
Um, you know, I'm actually, it's funny because you brought up the point of me being Bitcoin maxi. Um, <laughs> I, um, I was talking to an institution the other day, really large institution endowment fund and, um, some of their junior associates were in there and they're like, what do you think about proof of stake? I was like, I think proof of stake is a scam. I think it's part of the fiat world. <laughs> I was Come like, on. I was like, proof of work is, I mean, I believe in proof of work and, um, but then, you know, I, I'm bashing and shitting on all these other cryptocurrencies, but then like, I'm actually bullish on NFTs, super bullish on NFTs. Um, I think that a lot of the projects out there right now are trash junk. You look at board apes, you look at punks. Like I wish I had the money to buy one right now. I don't. Um, so I'm just like missing out and getting major FOMO, but you look at a company like digital wallcatters that has a large engaged community. And now I'm looking at, okay, I can layer NFTs over our community that have true utility. Hey guys, once a year, I'm going to throw a party in Miami. And the only way you get to come down is if you have the NFT, Hey, you can get 50% off our tickets at empower, you get exclusive content. There's so much utility that can be used in NFTs mm -hmm. to further strengthen community. And so I love NFTs. Um, yeah, I think the technology itself is fascinating. Yeah. And I, like I know uh, Mark Cuban talked about, hey, like our Mavs tickets one day are going to be NFTs. 100%. Because you can totally just verify it. Dude, yeah, there's yeah. so much, there's so much, that is like one of the best use cases for NFTs because mm -hmm. there's actually a ton of fraud in, um, we got more foam tiles just falling down. I wish y'all, I don't know if this is on camera if you want to see this. <laughs> really I, I can see we typically glue the foam tiles to the wall, but Mac just wanted to get them up real quick. So he duct taped them and um, it's not working. So oh, it's okay. It's the, it's the uh, trial and error. So it's a metaphor. The first, the first podcast in here. <laughs> it's a metaphor for NFTs slowly yeah. falling. Yeah, slowly falling <laughs> off. Yeah. This is a representation of my life right now. Um, but no, tickets. I mean, there's so much fraud and scams out there mm -hmm. around tickets. And you've heard it like, oh, I bought tickets off of StubHub and I get there and they weren't real tickets. And so being able to have an NFT, I mean, that's a no, no brainer. Mm -hmm. Um, now the problem is, is like, um, all the friction in the process of buying NFTs and it's not, it's not easy to go buy, um, Ethereum and then transfer Ethereum to your MetaMask, And then yeah. you're like having to fuck around with gas fees. And that's, I mean, I understand why Ethereum is going from proof of work. The proof of stake i mean gas like gas fees are just we, we have to right yeah uh, because for me to buy a coffee with ethereum it needs to cost less than a penny for me to transact yeah and so for people to actually want to use a lot of these uh systems built on top of ethereum it has to be cheap yeah. and uh i've had a ton of people that said hey jake how do i get involved in crypto and i said okay here are the steps right like if you even want to attempt to you know go use even a protocol that i provide liquidity to you know buy Ethereum, put it in Coinbase, send your Ethereum out to a wallet that's compatible, um, go on this website, you know, input the right, you know, address for the token or, you know, because you buy the wrong one, you're in trouble. There's yeah. Just, am I, I was talking to my sister the other day about, she wanted to buy an NFT and I had to walk through the process. I'm like, this is, Sucks. the average person <laughs> yeah. is not going to do this. They're not going to do it. Yeah. And so it's going to take time. I think um, a lot of the stuff that I do will just be in the background. Like someone will have an iPhone app and they'll say, I want to buy this and I want to do this. And all my stuff is going to be on the back end. They're going to be 
yeah. their liquidity is going to be routed through me. Yeah. And they'll never know. Yeah. And uh, they'll yeah. pay a small fee um, in gas, like a couple cents. So yeah. that's why I think we, we have to move to proof of, of stake Yeah. Uh, ultimately. Well, um, have you used Bitcoin Lightning Network? I have. I, I think it's great. It's just the problem. And this is the biggest issue I have with Bitcoin, which makes me not a maximalist, is I cannot uh, build decentralized finance applications on Bitcoin today. I need the theory, the power of uh, Solidity, the the um, programming language that Ethereum uses. Yeah. Because they have companies right now. This is why I'm so bullish on DeFi and this stuff in general. I mean, you think about a company that you construct entirely through code. There's no, there are no buildings, there are no employees really outside of the developers. Uh, there's no capital expenditures because mm -hmm. they're borrowing liquidity from me to use their, it's like almost like CapEx. They're almost borrowing my CapEx yeah. to think about it. And so you have these companies that exist on the Ethereum blockchain and they, if everyone stepped away tomorrow and this has happened to some product projects, so the developers stay away, I say, hey, the protocol works. I'm going to step away and let the people use it. Just generating cash flow generating cash flow. So like there are no other businesses today that operate like that, where my revenue essentially equals my earnings. And so the companies that get built on these networks are going to go nuts. Like, yeah. let's talk about like, you could build the next Facebook yeah. through code and yeah, yeah See, it go, goes absolutely nuts. Agree with you hundred percent. I just think that those things are built out on Bitcoin protocol and you have certain layers. And if you look at the evolution of the internet, I mean, come out with IP protocol mm -hmm. and this is a lot of computers to connect and then you start getting several layers of protocols on top of that and boom you get HTTP that allows us to build websites and mm -hmm. content and what the internet looks like today and I think that Bitcoin has the same potential for that you start stacking on layers and I can't remember I saw a Twitter announcement the other day but someone came out with an application and build all your websites and everything on top of Bitcoin protocol and i was like yes that's like I, I think i think that's certainly possible but i feel like i don't know i have a perfect analogy of it but ethereum was built to you know have all these applications run on it yeah bitcoin you're trying to kind of like duct tape bitcoin yeah. to get it into to that work. And to you know that, what i'm saying it wasn't that, built from the ground up for it yeah and to that point the protocols that the internet were built on weren't the best protocols they were the ones that had adoption and so best technology doesn't always win. And I'm not making an absolute statement here saying that Bitcoin protocol does win or doesn't win or Ethereum does or does or doesn't, but superior technology doesn't always win. Like one of my favorite use cases is you looked at um, Microsoft Teams and Slack and Slack had clear first mover advantage on internal uh, messaging communications. And you look at the chart. And they're growing, they're growing, they're growing. COVID hits. Microsoft Teams comes out of fucking nowhere. Exponential growth. Just absolutely runs mm -hmm. circles around Slack. Why was that? It wasn't necessarily better technology than Slack, but they had distribution and adoption because everyone at these companies already had Microsoft Office installed on their computers. And so Microsoft Teams just absolutely ran circles around mm -hmm. Slack, even though I would argue Slack is a better product and technology and so i think about like those things as well but um yeah i who knows i don't yeah. like to speak in absolutes because someone's going to take this podcast 15 years later and be like look jackass you're right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so i got i gotta yeah. leave some room for error in my in my comments but i really like the way that i view bitcoin is 
the infrastructure for the next evolution of the internet. And I look at the Bitcoin network as AWS, essentially. Like this mm -hmm. is this is the server network. This is, I mean, the most reliable network in the world. What makes it so special is that it has financial incentive for the participants. And boom, we can start stacking layers on it and building on yeah. top of it. See, it's funny. Yeah, you just you think it's Bitcoin. I think it's gonna be Ethereum. And we could both be wrong. I mean, it we could, could be, be. We could both dude, be wrong. Yeah. Crypto moves so fast. That's what people are like. Oh, what should I buy? I'm like. I, I tell them, and then six months later, they're like, oh, should I buy this? I'm like, oh, dude, I, I've moved on from that coin. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I moved for like a month. That's you know? trash. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, that's that, trash. oh, that technology's way <laughs> yeah. old, man. It's like, I feel like, yeah, like, you know, Bitcoin, that's like, you know, MS-DOS back in the day, Windows 95, et cetera. And then Ethereum is now, you know, Windows XP. And there will be Solana, you could say, is, you know, Windows Vista. Yeah. Uh, Solana has a lot of its own issues. And we, we don't have to get, like, all technical about yeah. blockchains and stuff. Yeah. but. Um, we don't have to nerd out. You know, I think, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but ultimately, yeah, there's there's going to be, I think, three main blockchains. I think Bitcoin will be one. Yeah. Um, I think Bitcoin is still the best store of value we have yeah. um, outside of maybe gold, but, yeah. you know, can argue about that for another, another entire topic. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I think Ethereum will be one, Bitcoin will be one, and then you'll have a third uh, competitor. And it's not going to be Cardano. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. Cardano is terrible. I think that's a safe safe assumption moving forward in the future so it's exciting times man i love the intersection that we're seeing of oil and gas and cryptocurrency mm -hmm. just like like who would have thought man that yeah uh, oil and gas investment <laughs> banking background would be so applicable to cryptocurrency i know yeah <laughs> i enough. mean it just the similarities between uh mining for oil and gas and mining bitcoin and then the finance side of oil and gas and the finance side of uh cryptocurrencies the, yeah. the parallels the yeah, similarities like, are wild <laughs> yeah like the mind of culty is basically a type curve you know that's in a way exactly <laughs> it's, it's nuts it's, it's weird like yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna create a blog a piece of content that makes all of those analogies between oil and gas and, and bitcoin mining but man i appreciate you coming on the show and diving into this guys if you're listening to this and you're a accredited investor, high net worth individual that uh, wants to talk to Jake about his fund. How can they find you? You got a website? Are you on LinkedIn? Uh, LinkedIn's easiest. You also go to cryptoyieldcapital.com. Cool. There's another competitor that's like crypto dot crypto yield dot yield or something. It's not that one. It's not the one on okay. Google, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can find my website. You can just I think LinkedIn's the best. Just Jake cool. Bose and uh, yeah, yeah find we'll it. Uh, we'll drop some links in the show notes. So if you guys want to reach out to him, great guy just to uh, talk to and shoot the shit with and learn about the space. Um, if you're listening to this gonna try to drop this episode before empower it's coming up here in a couple weeks march 30th through 31st it's gonna be a badass time expecting 1500 to 2000 people lots of great uh bitcoin miners energy guys finance uh and at minimum it's just gonna be a big party free beer starts flowing at 5 p.m both days so hope to see you guys there we'll catch you next episode come, 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 come.